Hello Atelier, the podcast that takes you inside the artist's studio. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello! Today, we are lucky enough to visit with the fabulous ceramicist, Meredith Host. Years ago, when I had my store, one of our best-selling lines was Meredith's Folded Pigs Dinnerware, which is when I learned that the most romantic gesture you can make is to gift a mug that says, I love you more than zombies love brains. Holy cow, I know. I saw that and thought, I need to meet this person who matches the elegance of ceramic dinnerware with zombies and skulls and ribcages and other skeletal anatomy. (laughs) What I didn't know at the time was that Folded Pigs was Meredith's more commercial line and that her real passion is her porcelain work, which doesn't have anything to do with zombies, but a lot to do with paper towels, toilet paper, and what she calls gumball colors. Of course, the fact that these two lines came from the same person what is great about creative artists who aren't afraid to work in dichotomies. Now, I don't need any more hobbies to add to my list, but going into her studio really made me want to play with clay. She has a huge space, which is shared with several other potters, and there were clay pieces and tubes of colored glaze and decals and any number of things that look like fun. Uh, We visited just a few weeks before the National Ceramic Arts Conference came to Kansas City, and all around that shared studio were these magnificent elaborate pieces in various states of construction, which we eventually saw completed and on display during the conference. Uh, What a privilege to have that behind-the-scenes preview. So, Meredith and I, we have a few things in common. We share the same birthday. September 1st. We have a similar hair color. Red. Um, But one huge difference between us is our tolerance for horror movies. Mine is extremely low, which Jonathan can attest to. I'm really sorry I took you to see the re-release of The Exorcist in college. I had no idea. That was probably one of the worst decisions we've ever made. Um, But Meredith not only loves them, they even play a part in her work. Well, I think we should hear from Meredith, but first, I just got the results from my Cosmo quiz, and it turns out I do love you more than zombies love brains. (laughs) You dork. (laughs) I mentioned that I am a huge fan of, like, horror movies, be it, like, campy, like, super crappy ones to, like, good, actual scary ones that really don't scare me because it takes a lot these days. (laughs) But I have I've had a tolerance since I was seven. (laughs) I mean, I was early exposure to all of this. Exorcist was like when I was five. (laughs) Like, yeah, my grandma's really into horror movies. So I was my bedtime stories were like horror movie plot lines. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. And like my favorite was Psycho and Poltergeist. And by the time I actually saw Poltergeist, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I'm like, oh. This is where the guy's face melts off. Like, so she told me everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a tolerance. But I really love candy. And that's kind of the color thing. And I'm like, how can I put these two things together? <laughs> and so the body of work that I created there was, I called it Slice and Dice. It featured like unsavory motifs on the surface where I was using things that you wouldn't necessarily use for patterning. Like I used um, like stylized meat patterns, um, chopped off pig's feet, you know, like severed fingers, chainsaws, like weird stuff like that. And that was that quirky factor that was hard for people to get over. And then my favorite of the series um, were my cavity cups. And that really dealt with my candy obsession and anxiety about it, where I had embedded press molded molars that were my bottom row of teeth, like around a cup that you would hold. And they were embedded with 
um, cavities and they had this like sickly sweet glaze flowing over them, encasing them. And so you, to use the cup, you actually had to touch all of them. So I refer to it as like a playful sense of humor with a penchant for the bizarre. For many artists, getting a master's degree is indispensable if you want to teach. However, Meredith had already made the decision not to go in that direction. So I asked her, why spend the time to go to graduate school? For me, it really was pushing the work to another level. I think when I applied, I was feeling like I was stuck in a certain spot with my work. And part of that, like them being open to like a quirky factor, is that I was finding people were having a hard time talking to me about the work because they were stuck on the weird, you know, like the weird stuff. Like it kind of was like, I don't get that. I'm like, well, pretend you do, and then can we move on from that? Because like it's, it was a big hiccup, and it, we couldn't push past that point. And so my feedback only went so far, I think. And then I'm like, you know, I th- this is the time where I need that extra, not sort of only guidance, but, you know, critical feedback about it. And I knew that they could provide, like, look past the weird factor and push it to an even weirder factor. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that series was all about the ritual of dinner and how small, like, deviations from the norm can put a kink in your experience. So, like, talking about anxieties at the dinner table, like, you know, you're at a dinner party and all of a sudden you see, like, a thin, dark hair, like, peeking out from under the green beans and, like, you know, this gut reaction of, like, repulsion sets in and then there's this, like, is there a lipstick stain on that, you know, glass or cup or whatever and, like, and, like, this inner anxiety of figuring out, like, do you just sit there in like polite silence or is there this weird awkward confession so this dinnerware set that I made had all these random contaminants that were hidden that were you know to be discovered I made photographic decals of hair or like food crust I ate off of white dishes for a while and just didn't wash them and then took photographs of like the nasty crusty stuff and then I made photographic decals and put them on the dishes and so everything was totally safe to use but maybe didn't want to use (laughs) and like I hand rolled like mouse turds out of (laughs) terracotta clay so is that like you know high fire terracotta so it's like a darker brown I mean they look like mouse turds and I'd glaze them on something so they're not coming off you're kind of confronted with the situation I also hide things under the rim of plates or underneath. That to me, I mean, it was super satisfying as far as my like attraction repulsion thing. Um, And then I like to call that like there was a difference between like before with like the meat and the bloody and the cavities was more of like a bloody slasher flick like Friday the 13th like part four of the final chapter, which is my favorite one. So then I switched to more of like a Hitchcockian psychological thriller like Rear Window or something like that. And really acting like the director and waiting for a discovery to be made and seeing, you know, what the reaction will be. While Meredith was perfecting her art at grad school, a simple project she made for a fundraiser turned into a business venture that would be essential to allowing her to make a career as a studio potter. Folded Pigs Dinnerware is what I call my commercial retail line. This is what allows me to be in the studio full time. It's a, a, a line of dinnerware that has a different price point than, say, my artwork. It's a different market. It's a totally different market. And I sell on Etsy to individuals. I wholesale to boutique sort of stores. It allows me to be 
in the studio full time, especially in the beginning. It started by accident in grad school. I'll just say that. I was making some random things to sell at a student sale that would help bring visiting artists in. And um, it was Valentine's Day. It was like around that time. I've always been really interested in vintage medical drawings and like anatomy. And that played a big part in my work at the time. And say, you know, like those meat slices and severed fingers and things like that, that all played into the anatomy love and that theme. So this was a different way of expressing it, I guess. I, you know, pair like an anatomical heart with the eat your heart out. Um, and that was one of the first ones, as well as um, a brain image that first it said, I like you more than zombies like brains. I didn't use the big L love word yet. <laughs> but, you know, that played into that horror element for me. And like, I just made a few of the heart things and brain things and on restaurant wear. I didn't even, I'm like, I don't need to make it. You know, this is a different price point thing. I'm just putting it in this sale, and I think that people were maybe respond to it. Well, the sale was totally canceled. There was some snowstorm or something. Oh, no. I was like, well, now I have these weird things that I just kind of threw together. And I had just opened an Etsy shop, and I had called it Folded Pigs because um, I wasn't committed to having a shop with my name on it yet. So I'm like, oh, I'll put those plates and whatever on Etsy. Well, oh, my God. They sold like immediately and all of a sudden I was getting requests for are you gonna make any more of those and I'm like wasn't planning on it but maybe I could I'm like man it totally just snowballed it was not expected at all so I embraced this new line and then started expanding it and it has definitely expanded and changed throughout the years and I mean little did I know that I would (laughs) all of a sudden have this business I ended up being like a featured seller on Etsy, I think that next July. I think I had 125 sales going into that like three-day stint. And at the end, I had 250. So I had doubled my sales in three days. (laughs) And the reason for that, too, is that I can just, you know, like it's not like I'm making everything from scratch. I can replicate this thing every time to look pretty much identical. So for me, it was an easier way to be like, oh, well, I'll have 10 available of this, and then I have 15 of this one. And whatever I could find, I was scrapping together random restaurant dishes that I could find. A certain brand that worked better with my decal firing process. So, I mean, everything was still going through a kiln, and it's all microwave and dishwasher safe and all that. So overall, I mean, I prefer to be making my studio artwork, but I do appreciate that I have folded pigs, and it's opened a lot of doors. And I have now, within the last couple of years, slowed down with promoting it as much. I mean, it still kind of generates interest, but I'm not as active with it because I'm trying to, you know, like this three to five year plan of maybe not having to rely on it and just my, my artwork will allow for me to, to survive. But I think diversifying is really important as far as like a studio practice. I mean, that's what's helped me actually maintain After her work on the Residue series, Meredith was looking for a new direction. She found it in an unexpected place, in the kitchen, between the candy jar and the paper towels. So then the work slowly after grad school, I'm like, I need color back in my life. Like, I open up this kiln, and it's all white on white, and I'm just like, meh, this is boring. I mean, I enjoyed the work itself when it was finished, but I don't know, there wasn't the excitement. And I think that for me, that's the color. So... Slowly brought color back. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, I have this collection of toilet paper and paper products. And this is just something I've been collecting for like 15 years or so. And I'm like, I think 
I think these things might have a place. And then, you know, I started thinking about the connections, like, well, you know, they're domestic. They're, you know, I'm making dishes for use. Uh, you know, I'm like, oh, they're throwaway, mine are permanent. And there was a lot of things that, and to me, it didn't even occur to me as I'm collecting these that obviously these have a connection. It's something I've always been interested in, these overlook patterns, like be it sidewalk tiles or manhole covers. Um, my mom actually, she's probably the one that introduced me to this idea of these overlook patterns. Like she would collect security envelope insides. So the things that would come with like a check in it and the business has a printed pattern on the inside of the envelope, it's usually blue or black. She would collect those patterns. And then so I, I started collecting them too. You know, it's like, oh mom does that uh, oh look at this is a new one you know um, especially working for the family business a lot of mail would come in and so we would always save them for her and then I started saving them myself so then eventually I'm like oh well there's this other patterns on these paper products so that was kind of my collection so then it, yeah I was like finally like, I think I need to use these and so I remember the moment I was really nervous about it's a big change when all of a sudden you're switching up work and I shared a space with um, Rain Harris, who I still share a space with, and then uh, Paul Donnelly, her husband, would, was picking her up. I don't, for, some, for some reason, I, I didn't want anyone to see the work that I had just made, and so I remember Paul came in, and I'm like, "Oh no, don't look at it," you know, because <laughs> it was so new. Because I just did the the screen printing with these new patterns, and he was like, "Oh, this this is a really interesting direction. These are these are looking good," and I'm like, "Whoo." Okay. And so then that was like, all right. So someone responded positively to it immediately. And then I really started developing that line. And then here we are probably, I don't know, I guess it would be like four years I've been working with those patterns, still collecting them too. Now that I'm more vocal about it, this collection, people, (laughs) it's hilarious. I think like, well, this is going to be sound weird, but I thought of you while I was in the bathroom, you know? (laughs) And I, sometimes receive swatches in the mail like I went to a different country and I don't know you probably don't have this one and for artists or really anyone the chance to move to a new country for even a few months can provide inspiration to change your work Meredith got just that opportunity when she was invited on a study abroad trip to China as a visiting artist so I was in Jingdezhen, which is the what they call the porcelain capital of the world. So basically anything you see that is here in the States that says made in China on the bottom and it's ceramic probably came from Jingdezhen, nine times out of ten. Um, it's the city that it's, – it's considered a tier three city, which is small for China, but it's still 1.5 million people. <laughs> so it's not like an international city. They do not have like a tourist sort of draw. Um, so it really was, I felt a little more authentic, I suppose, and not as safe because I couldn't talk to anybody. You know? So yeah, my experience there was a totally different way of working. And people master in one part of the ceramic process. So it was very specialized. So I kind of acted more of a designer when I was there. I drew out designs I didn't or forms. I didn't make them on the wheel. I drew out, like, say, a cream and sugar set, and I had all my measurements and, you know, figure out, all, like, kind of draw it out. And then I brought it to this model man, and he is a master at model making, so either plaster models or out of clay also. And then you had this special modeling clay that was a little more oily, um, that he would make these amazing things out of. Like every time I would go to his st- studio, 
you know, I was kind of mind blown. I mean, every day in China, mind was blown. So I give him my plans. He would look at it, kind of figure out the size, quote me an, an amount, and then, you know, come back the next day. So I come back the next day and there are my prototypes ready to go, uh, made to my spec- specifications exactly. And then he shared a space with the mold man. So then I would just bring them right to the mold guy and he would say, okay, yeah, come back tomorrow. Molds are done. Bring them to the caster man and say, I want you know, 10 of these in this clay body. So then after I pick up like the 10 cast cream and sugar sets, because there's handles and there's mold marks and mold lines and all this stuff, I had this woman, Auntie Lee, she would clean them all up for me. And so then she would attach the handles and we had to discuss, you know, where the handles actually went. And But she would cl- do the first round of cleaning up and attaching. And then, then I would load up this wheel cart and wheel them to my studio. I mean, everything was like within walking distance. <laughs> in this one area in which I was. Walk into my studio and that's when I decorated them. So I still did that. And I also cleaned them up a little bit more because I'm very particular and I'm like, oh no, these aren't good enough. And so I would clean them up, decorate them. And then I would ride my bike down to the glaze store. They call it, it was called Paint Town. <laughs> Just funny. And all the samples of glazes are all formulated for the clay bodies in town. So with ceramics, you can't just throw things together and have it automatically work typically. But everything, because it's all this chemistry involved, but at the store, everything would automatically work. And what you see is kind of what you get for the most part. So you'd point, like, I want that one, I want this one, and then they'd fill up a, like a water bottle full of that, and it had some label on it that I couldn't read, and I would photograph the sample with the bottle just so I knew what was what. And then I would go back to the studio, call up the glaze man and have him come over and glaze it for me. I mean, everything was farmed out basically each part of the step. Once he was done, I'd walk it, cart it, bring my wheel cart back down to the kiln. There was public kilns. We didn't have our own kilns. So you'd go to one of three places, see kind of see how much they had each day. Like, oh, is there room in there? No, there's not. I'm going to the other one. Um, and then you vie for space in the kiln. And I would, you know, say, I want middle of the top. I don't want to be in the bottom, you know, and trying to communicate. After a while, the kiln masters would kind of know know you. I mean, being being a foreigner, you tend to stick out a little bit more. So it's a little more memorable. So like, oh yeah, that red haired girl wants things in the middle to the top. So then every day at like 5 p.m., the kiln car would push into the kiln like full and of so many different people's things. And by 9.30 a.m., which, by the way, is totally fast for firing. It was unbelievably fast. Like what we would do here in the States, totally different. Had the car would be pulled right on out. And I mean, it was too hot to touch at 9.30. But maybe by 10.30, you could start picking your pieces out from that firing. And then you pay that guy, like he'd say, okay, you owe me this much. And it was really interesting to work that way. As a control freak, I had some issues with it. (laughs) But I also really liked being the designer and kind of, it was a lot about managing. I don't know, I actually really enjoyed it. it. It took a while to get used to. For any artist or maker trying to make a living off their work, marketing can be the biggest hurdle. Meredith has started focusing on developing a local community by working with other ceramicists and reaching out to retail customers. So art fairs have been a newer thing for me in the last couple of years, and that basically just doing local Kansas City 
fairs. And one, because most of my exposure as far as putting my work out there has been uh, more on a national level and not a local level. So switching over to like, hey, local, hey, I'm here, you know, um, local has been really important in the last year. And um, I also formed a group with um, six other potters called the Kansas City Urban Potters. We do two sales a year. And this is just, you know, combining forces. I mean, it's amazing how much more we can get done as a group than individually. We have done a spring exhibition as well as a, a, like a fall sort of holiday sale. You know, a lot of the time, there's a few of our members who have home studios that it's hard to have an open studio when you work out of your basement or your garage. So this is a way for us all to, you know, band together and show in an outside space that's, you know, more of a professional setting, you know, have a nice, cool display and available to a local audience. We are going to open up a little retail shop, so it'll be open all year round. I think that's like my number one question at art fairs is, oh, where's your where's your shop? It's like, well, I have a studio, but it's not, it's definitely not a retail space. <laughs> so, but it's cool to be able to direct people for sales all year round and have things on display versus just, here, come to my dirty studio. <laughs> I think that the shop will I mean, I hope it will be cool. And then we also do a bunch of, or attempting to do a bunch of like community outreach type programs too. And it's also like bringing people like, you know, to be aware and the joy of using a handmade thing versus like a store-bought run-of-the-mill kind of object from, you know, a box store or whatever. So, you know, they're trying to widen the audience, I guess. And hopefully everyone, you know, will like handmade as much as we do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Hello Atelier. To see pictures of Meredith's studio and her work mentioned in this podcast, visit us at helloatelier.org. To keep up on all our new episodes, subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram.